So we've been doing this long enough that the people out there, they have thoughts, I'm sure, about which host is who. Because everyone, everyone plays a role. Like, Mason, I, f- I forget. Do you listen to podcasts? You're, no. you're a pretty podcastless person. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. There, there are still a couple a couple people like you out there. Just like there are a couple people out there that don't use social media. Hey. hey. But um, every podcast, it's got, like, the different personalities. Like, different people uh, perform different roles. So, like, who are we? Because if you ask me, Mason, you're, you're the guy that when you speak up, People freaking listen. Because one, you never talk. And two, the reason you never talk is because you don't like talking unless you absolutely know that what you're about to say is correct. And I'll give you some respect. As far as I know, you, you've held true to that. And that, that's I think that's benefited your reputation here on cross-training as being the guy that knows what he's talking about. And Tanner, you are blessed and cursed with the exact same um, ability. Because you are simultaneously one of the most theologically learned people that I know. But you're held back by your tongue's inability to just speak. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you're speaking, like you're vomiting out just all of this knowledge, but it just comes out at the same time. And just, it, it, it's fun watching you try to try to struggle. With, struggle. No, hold there. Hey, no, hey, hey, there you go. Struggling, struggling with that with that southern tongue. It's, it's I'll be art. honest, though. That's something that I've actually tried to work with because, you know, one of our good friends, Ronnie Lee, he's one that, like, you ask him a question and he'd take a long time to answer. You ever think – you ever watched or read the books uh, Lord of the Rings? Ever heard of it? You know? Yeah. But, like, I feel like I need to be, like, the ints. You know, he says, <laughs> he says, we do not have anything to say unless we have the long time to say it. And so I feel like a lot of times I'm not that. And so it becomes word vomit and becomes almost useless. And so I've been trying to better myself by stepping back and allowing me to formulate my words to get them out appropriately. And I mean, you've absolutely gotten better. I mean, I think we've all gotten better at just being able to string together coherent thoughts. I mean, that's part of doing this on a regular basis is you're inevitably going to get at least a little better. We're, Mm -hmm. We're not as bad as we used to be. Uh, but Tanner, I definitely believe that you could be described as the driving vocal force. Then what are you then? I don't know. That's what I was going to ask you guys. I would say, to Feel be honest, to trash talk. I'll take any. No, criticism. no, no, no trash talk. To be honest, Matthew, I think you're the superior host. I think you're the host in the sense of like the host of the host. You know, I'm not saying we're the Trinity, but <laughs> I'm, I'm saying if 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 you had, oh, this might be very heretical here, boys. If we're God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, (laughs) oh no, Mason is like the the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, (laughs) I'm like the I'm I'm the Son that you know that I can you know speak some things and whatever. I have some I like the educational spot spot, and then you're like God the Father who's basically leading this whole kit and caboodle but yet we're all one that might be really heretical or it might be a freaking awesome t-shirt analogy i don't know <laughs> i wasn't expecting such a level of praise off this you're welcome that's you're welcome just because i edit it doesn't make it <laughs> like it's gonna be in there okay oh no this is gonna just go in there i need my mom to like be able to cry. i'm so it's proud like, of my son's god the father <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we need to make a t-shirt. And yeah. Now that I don't know, that might be really heretical. 
every time I finish editing a podcast, I just uh, sit back and go, it is good. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. So let's see if uh, if this one will be very good. <laughs> oh my gosh! You are listening to Cross Training, the most heretical theological podcast out there on the internet. We are your hosts. I'm God. The, I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. I am Matthew. No, 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 no. Take that back. I we got to introduce ourselves as that. I'm, no. <laughs> I am that I am the first gospel. <laughs> it's like when you get the the hot man coming up. It's like also known as also known. This is Matthew Thompson, also known as God the Father, also known as the first gospel, also known as the theological ne'er do well. I mean, was it not you that basically said, "Let's do a podcast"? I mean, me and you were like, "We're the first ones." Like, hey, let's do it. So I mean, oh, I am that sure. I am, and I am the result of the Passover. <laughs> We passed over you for a while. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> welcome to Cross Training. Oh, this is probably the funniest. That's that's first three minutes that we've that's ever had. Good. I love it. Tanner, give those magic words. That's that. That's enough. That's enough. Peace out. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, we got we got Mason. I don't know if you actually said your name. We got Tanner. The, we're we're gonna get this train on the rails if it kills us. Oh. But uh. Whew. All right. I'm All right. sweating, and it's not just because it's 95,000 degrees up here. Uh, I can feel it slicking on my. Yeah, I've got I've got my water, but uh, I'm already down to like a tenth. I'm gonna have to probably go get some more. Yeah, but uh, we're we're gonna talk about uh, actual scripturally relevant things today. Believe it or not, we're not just gonna go waxing heretical uh, for the entirety of this podcast. But we're gonna be talking about tradition, Mm. and this is a. Oh man, how on earth can I can I introduce this episode without saying something I say literally every episode when I'm introducing a topic? This can be a different kind of episode, guys. <laughs> or what, what's another uh, Matthewism of? Uh, this could be spicy. Spicy. This could oh. be a little spice. But another Matthewism is uh, I learned something new when I did some studying with oh, this yeah. today. Well, but I mean, if you're not learning, then what are you doing here? For real? Like, uh, what am I just typing notes out of my head? No. I will. I will say. I will, yeah, we're talking about traditionalism, which there's a lot. There's some terms here I think we're going to define because yeah. this is one thing with this uh, topic that we're talking about, traditionalism. There are some terms that I think is very important to talk about because if they're placed wrongly, then they lose its meaning. And I think there's a lot of people in a lot of churches and quote-unquote tra- traditions have put labels upon themselves that have lost its meaning. But, like, I, I've learned, like, legalism. I know what the heck legalism was, but... I didn't. I didn't realize that mainly most people don't want to be called a legalist. Like it's basically a derogatory yeah. placement upon somebody. Yeah. So and just to go ahead, just, just just go ahead and just take a bucket load of spice and go, just go, go. chuck it out there into the internet. Uh, let's be real. One of the reasons that it's so dangerous to use these terms, and I say dangerous with air quotes mm-hmm. because it's just people getting their feelings hurt. Because this is something that I think needs to be addressed in the church. Because I mean, traditionalism yeah. is potentially very bad. Potentially, for, yeah. For like being a Christian, not not just bad in terms of like my opinion on like what you need to be doing theologically in your life, but like objectively, going too traditionalist is bad. Mm-hmm. Just like going to the other thing is bad, and we'll talk about that as well. But to open this up, one of the reasons that it's such a hot button topic is because we've allowed politics to get into the church. Because what's the um, the foil, the the opposite, I guess you could say, of traditionalism, progressivism. Yeah. And when people hear the word progressive. They don't. 
they don't, they don't they think shot, of church things. Yeah, they, they don't think, think it's of church. politics. Well, in in all sense, when I was doing some research and stuff like this, when I when I was researching traditionalism and traditionalist, a lot of the times it coincide with traditionalist conservative conservatism. And so, I mean, a lot of it has to do. It is very uh, political, politically charged in yeah. that sense. And so, I mean, I'm just going to give the definition out there for those that don't know. And these are are these Christianese terms that we're using here, or are no, these? These are in the dictionary. Like I've got actual well, dictionary definitions on my favorite. Okay. So, I mean, traditionalism, and I, and you, it it's probably along the same lines. But traditionalism, it can be a broad spectrum between a political, philosophical. Theological standings, but like the basically the main driving point behind the idea of traditionalism is that you're trying to maintain maintain certain traditions or values in resistance to change. That's pretty much the dictionary definition. Okay, so I mean either change by a political change or a, a social economic change or a theological change. And I'm talking about theological of like understanding scripture or trying to see scripture in a new light. And and I'm not talking about Joseph Smith, oh gosh, I see Michael the Archangel coming before me. I mean, that's just that's just wrong. But it needs to say trying to learn Scripture in a way uh, or stuff like that. So, I mean, traditionalism is trying basically abstaining from change uh, in, in different facets of, of, of whatever category you want to say. <clears throat> and then is an, uh, legalism your other word? Well, uh, also... If you wanted to break it down just a little bit more, traditionalism is kind of like that broad spectrum of trying to yeah. retain tradition. Yeah, it kind of ties in. Yeah, but fundamentalism is kind of more mm. the religious standing. And this is where, like, a lot of our friends, we got a lot of friends that they're fundamentalist, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this to make fun of them, but, like, I, their nicknames are fundies. Yeah, fundies. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, I mean, that's more defined of, uh, I looked up the definition for fundamentalist. And fundamentalists are those that adhere to a strict literal interpretation of Scripture that a person follows every rule literal and implied. So, it, like, there's no give way whatsoever, which, I mean, if God's Word is inerrant, that is really good that you need to. And it is inerrant. But a lot of times, this goes back to what when we were talking about trying to read Scripture, and we talked about it in, you know, the science thing. You can't put your 21st century feet in Scripture. You got to take what their mindset was and who the author was. What was the intention of this writing? What was the science of that day? What was this? What was that? You try to take what were they trying to say instead of putting your 21st century bias into Scripture. And a lot of I'm not I'm not making any kind of I'm trying not to make any jabs and we're not I'm not going to get into this much. But like the fundamentalist is basically a lot of times they 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 take Scripture and they they look at it but they don't analyze the context behind the passage a lot of times. Um, and this, this this goes with the one thing that we studied about before in the past is that I think when, you, when we look at Scripture and we look at tradition, we look at fundamentalism and all this other, other stuff, is that the message incident principle that I talked about before in the past couple episodes, and I think it's a healthy way to view Scripture. You know, the fundamentalists, they will only take it in like one cup, like a silver, shiny cup. You know, you can't change the cup. You got the message. And the thing is, though, with fundamentalists, they're not wrong because they 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 have the same God. They worship the same Christ. They worship the same God that I do, but yet they don't like putting that cup and they don't like putting that water in a different cup. You know what I mean? And so like they, they they like to keep it shining. They keep it dazzled and stuff like that. But sometimes we got to understand what Scripture is saying in the full context and then just reading it as is. 
because that can be kind of dangerous. But anyways, uh, I digress. Let's talk about a little bit of the traditionalism versus progressivism and, and how terms can affect the way that we view church people and theology. Yeah, most of my research uh, that I did was on just opinions of uh, traditionalism versus progressivism, like throughout church history. Yeah. But I'll admit I didn't look into getting like some solid definitions for what progressive uh, progressive Christianity like actually is. So, uh, Tanner, I'm, uh, I know I'm putting you in the hot seat here, but oh, I don't suppose yeah. you did any any research on that. So he- here's the big problem when it comes to giving labels on individuals and being labeled a traditionalist or progressivist. Uh, is that sometimes they put we put labels on people or we put labels on ourselves that it defines something that does not define their ideology. And so a traditionalist mindset is like, that's the way we've done it, so we're always going to do it this way. And to be honest, that's kind of a, that can be a dangerous mindset sometimes. Yeah. Because you look at science, and if science and doctors and stuff like that, and if, especially doctors, if we've always had this mentality of, well, we've always done it this way, so we're going to do it this way. I'm sorry, but I'm not putting leeches on anybody in the back of the ambulance. And I'm pretty sure that's kind of a past uh, archaic uh, medicine style. And I'm pretty sure I'm not pissing on wounds either. Coward. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's something that's, that's kind of archaic. And so the, the mindset of the way that we've always done it, is the way that we should do it now is is kind of like the traditionalist mindset it can be good in some aspects and we'll talk about that here in a minute but the more modernist progressive mindset is like okay out with the old and in with the new yeah and to give just a little bit of credence to traditionalism because i mean i'm pretty sure i've joked around about it before in past episodes that i'm like super anti-traditionalism and in some ways i am because i mean Going too far that way is bad. We've, we've already said that, and we'll go further into that uh, into this episode. But to give it a little bit of a defense, uh, one definition that I saw of traditionalism that made me think, huh, okay, I, I, I can see that. Uh, says, the theory that all moral and religious truth comes from divine revelation passed on by tradition, human reason being incapable of attaining it. Mm-hmm. So I can understand how uh, someone who may or may not be a self-professed uh, traditionalist would look towards like what church history it's like, well, what has the church done in the past? How did they adhere to Scripture in the past? Because this newfangled stuff that people are doing today is, is making me feel all kinds of funny because it, it's change. Mm-hmm. I don't like change. So I, I can understand uh, where the logic comes from, and I can understand why traditionalism would be good in some regards. Because yeah. the best criticism that I could give against traditionalism is also one of the greatest uh, proofs that I can give for it. And that is that no one has got the Bible figured out. And no one ever will. I mean, the Bible makes it clear within Scripture that, like, people are going to try to figure out, like, what makes God tick. It's never going to happen. I mean, feel free to try. I mean, you should try. try, Study. Try to understand. But you never will. No one's going to get the interpretation of Scripture 100% correctly because we're fallen by nature. Now, that being said, we absolutely could have gotten little snippets of it right in the past. So, yeah, by all means, follow those traditions. If, If we manage to get it right and we can continuously test uh, that tradition against scripture. Well, the proof, the and, Bible proof itself. I exactly. mean, we've made that comment it, several and if, times. If it comes out right every time, be like, yes, we're doing this correctly. Yes, we're doing this correctly. Yes, with our 21st century brains, we can still come to the conclusion that, that doing this is a good thing. But if you have things that might have gotten uh, affected by culture, like, for instance, slavery. Slavery was uh, biblically condoned back in the day in, in good old America. But uh, eventually, you, you had some, some voices popping up, be like, hey, wait a second. There's this really weird theme in scripture about slaves being freed. <laughs> like, so 
let's go back a little bit and look at some terms. And I think this is one thing that, like, when terms lose its meaning if, if placed incorrectly. Because, I mean, I think we put, we, we put, hey, you're a traditionalist. And I think sometimes we need to reevaluate, hey, am I, am I taking tradition a little bit too seriously over the, the truth of the gospel? Or, hey, am I progressive or whatever? So one example I want to give out is something called progressive Christianity. And have you all ever researched much on the, the progressive Christianity atmosphere uh, that is going on within the church? Not as much as I should have in preparation for this. Okay, so well, progressive Christianity. It basically, if you look at their tenets, they basically deny core biblical truths. Yeah, I've heard that. Such much. as you know, they deny that it that the word is inerrant. That they say that there is an there are errors within Scripture, uh, and they're taking. And I'm not talking about just misprints or or uh, scientific misguiding. They're talking about biblical truths such as man shall not lie with man or you know god made a man and woman for a union stuff like that well that's well there's error there they see error in that so they're completely denying uh the erroneous work of god writing that and the truths that it beholds so so what they're doing progressive christianity they are they deny biblical truths and so they're hijacking the word christianity and so this this term progressive Christianity, they take this label, and they're affirming something that isn't even biblical. And so it's automatically people automatically assume so you're Christian, but yet, in reality, progressive Christianity is nowhere near Christian whatsoever. There's no Christian biblical values whatsoever within their tenets. And so that's one one way that I think that sometimes labels of these certain degrees need to be at least expressed or talked about, and evaluated of like okay what exactly does it mean to be a christian what does it mean to be a progressive is it good to use the word progressive is it good to use the word traditional i like for progressive we'll talk about it here in a minute but like i like the word reform oh yeah personally better another example is 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 that in some camps uh the conversation between calvinist and arminianism is uh the calvinist camp and all my calvinist brothers i love y'all but y'all love to claim the word reformed and y'all and i hate to say this but like it's one of those things that's like oh Martin Luther and, and John Calvin, they're reformers, and so only the Southern Baptists and the Calvinists, they're true reformers. But the thing is, though, Martin Luther was the first one that reformed away from the Catholic Church. And so anyone Protestant, Free Old Baptist, Southern Baptist, you know, whatever, Church of God, you know, it doesn't matter. And if you're, if you're Protestant, you're reformed. And this is one of the things that the, the, I think we should always uh, try to reform uh, what needs to be reformed. Uh, so, I mean, that's... It, it, but anyways, these are two separate uh, aggressive grips and the point of view of the truth begin to slip out. So when you when you take such hold of a title and you take such hold of, of a certain identity of something, then it seems like the, the reality of the truth begins to slip through your fingers. And I think that's what ends up happening when it comes to traditionalism versus progressivism, for sure. Yeah. One thing is that people like to tie way too much value to those words as well, because at the end of the day, traditionalism, it, it mirrors itself quite a bit, not only when it comes to theology or, or the church, but, I mean, it mirrors itself in politics, as opened up like this is one of the reasons it's such a divisive subject, because you almost can't talk about one without the other. And if you don't talk about the other while you're talking about one, people are still going to be thinking about yeah. it. You have like political conservatism, 
that's I mean that's traditionalism in the political sense and then you have pr uh, progressives on the other side one of them just wants crap to stay the same or better yet take it back to the golden age where the other one just wants change for change's sake and of course these are the uh, extreme poles yeah. of those two uh, ideologies there but whenever you talk about um, progressivism getting to Christianity you think about the extreme whenever we whenever I personally think of traditionalism just speaking for myself here like I think of the extreme like people are like oh well mm -hmm. the, if you use anything other than organ and piano and music then you, you're a sinner uh, or any other like super traditionalist views here and does having those beliefs make you not a Christian not necessarily in fact I'd go so far as to just say no but I think that a uh, more effort should be taken to figure out like why are my beliefs here? Is it just because it's the way it's always been done? Is it just because I don't like the way that this church is doing its thing and I think that change is the, the correct answer and the answer is not instead that maybe I just need to be looking uh, to a church that calls for me? Because I mean, not, not every church is for everybody. I mean, the word is for everyone, yes, but di different churches for different insert word here that rhymes with churches. So here's my main challenge, and I want to make this challenge to the listener, Lex, and I want to make this challenge to even myself and y'all, is that the phrase, I've heard this phrase, and this stands true to both the traditionalist view and the progressive view, is that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's good things on traditionalism. There's good things on, on certain progressive, I'm not talking about progressive Christianity, but a progressive mindset of like, okay, what's some things that need to be changed, reformed type of uh, theology here? So there's things that we need to kind of just get what we need to get right and get rid of the stuff that we've gotten wrong. And that's what basically reformed theology or reformed thinking is. And so is that kind of, now thinking about it, that term is kind of anti-traditionalism in that sense, mm -hmm. is it not? Yeah. But, you know, but a, 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 tra a traditionalist view, I believe, is needed in the space of um, biblical and political stances. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a balance, 100%. I mean, you have, I mean, goodness, there's scriptural proof for how uh, <clears throat> taking back tradi to tradition, looking at what we were doing in the past, and that um, causing, like, goodness to come mm -hmm. out of it, like spiritual goodness. I mean, just one example is uh, King Josiah. Uh, in Second Kings chapters 22 and 23, there's a little bit of reference there, but I'm just going to read a couple verses from Second Chronicles uh, chapter 35 says, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites, who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people, Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, I guess you could call him a reformer because he was making changes. But those changes were him just going back to tradition because there were just uh, a good amount of time went by that people just weren't following uh, these traditional values. Like he, he was, he was reintroducing the Passover. Like that just seems like common sense. Cause I mean, we're, we're doing that today in a sense, like doing, uh, respecting through like foot washing, that sort of thing. But that's, I mean, that's an example of going back to tradition and being a good thing because that is something that's set in stone in scripture that, uh, in my opinion, it's pretty easy to read that and be like, yeah, this is this is something that uh, we as Christians should be doing. And him just taking that scripture, taking that as a proof, and be like, why aren't we doing this? We need, we need to be going back, going back to, to old scripture because it got it right the first time and do that, respect the Lord. So, I mean, there, there is scriptural backing for, like, traditionalism isn't bad. It can be very good. So do you think that tradition, let me ask you all both, do you think that tradition needs to be reformed? Because in my personal opinion, 
And because of due to work and due to certain other kind of uh, certain things, I have not taken communion with the body since 2019. And that is not only due to my fault, but due to the fact that because of work, because of COVID, and because of a lot of other uh, factors, is that I have missed a time to fellowship in the sense of the way that communion is. So here's the question, though, is that do you think that the way that the majority of corporate church that does communion, do you think that is more of a tradition, of tradition's sake, or do you think it, we need to reevaluate that sometimes the way we do tra- that we do communion or foot washing or any other kind of, uh, of uh, ordinance or uh, sacrament, do we need to reform these things to get back where we need to get? Where, we, where, where the intention of these things uh, were made to be. Because, I mean, one of the things that I don't like is that the Free Old Baptists only do it quarterly. For Basically, the recommendation is four times a year. And the reason, I actually did some research, why we'd only do it like four times a year, is because they didn't want to be sucked into a tradition of doing it weekly. Because there's a lot of churches that do it like every Sunday. And that just becomes habit. It, and it, became, it can become habit. But And here's one thing, like, here's my idea. And we can we can take this as it is, because if you look at the way that we do it in corporate worship and the way that we do it corporately and is not the way that it, it was happening in first century Acts and in the church in Jerusalem and stuff like that. They were like it says that any time that you break bread together as, as in a fellowship, do this in remembrance of me is what Jesus is saying. So it's really it's almost like a big meal in that sense. And like there's like stipulations of like you know don't eat all the all the meal or and because I mean you've got to save the rest for other because I mean that's a it's a it's a community type deal thing, but here's an idea that I had uh, that we were talking at, at uh, camp a couple weeks back, is that what if you made it to where it was optional to have communion to come in on like a Thursday at five o'clock and those that wanted to partake instead of like okay well I'm already here so I got to take it anyways because not only do does communion need to be optional but it is only for the believers only for the believers yeah i i like that you asked that question because you you're about to coax forth quite a lot of uh i'm about to spew a lot of thoughts out there this this might wind up sounding incoherent but i have strong feelings about what you just said because i i think about which part? yes i think absolutely like 100 percent. reform we should, it we should be doing uh, a lot more voluntary uh, difficult to attend sort of things. Now, of course, if if we did this, I think it should be like different varying times, different uh, times throughout the week. Because I mean, people have work schedules sure. uh, that you got to think about. If you if you decide five p.m. is the golden time on like Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday to do these different individual things, some people just straight up can't do that. Yeah. So I mean, you got to look out for those people. Uh, but I think we absolutely need to be doing more. Uh, you don't have to be here. Have to be in quotations, of course. If you want to be, no here. one's dragging you to church yeah. unless you're a kid with very uh, obedient parents. But, uh, but I think there should be a lot more stuff that you don't feel obligated to do, but you should feel like you need to do. Uh, because one of the things that I think that the church is suffering from is there isn't this collective fired upness about discussion like everyone comes to the sunday service and there might be some some chatter in the hallways there might be some uh chatter while the countdown's going on the screen for uh, for service to start and i mean yeah the service can be good 100 percent. i'm not uh, downplaying that one bit but people don't really like we don't commune really mm-hmm. unless it's specifically like a meal which happens rarely enough that people are like oh this is a big deal so i, I gotta commune with my, with my brothers and sisters in christ 
So I think that if we had more of those uh, voluntary things, like, yeah, we're going to have a communion, but it's going to be at 5 p.m. on a Thursday, or it's going to be at uh, 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, you're going to get the people that, like, are hungry for that, that are just thirsting for another opportunity to get together with these like-minded Christian brothers and sisters and have those deep conversations. It's not just going to be a, hey, uh, hey, Fred, what, I saw you mowing your lawn the other day. Okay, that, that, that lawn's looking pretty good. No, you're not going to have those discussions. You're going to have deep theological discussions because people are coming there hungry to be in God's house doing things for the Lord like that. That's powerful stuff. Well, I mean, you got to think, what was it saying in Revelation that, you know, the, the, about the lukewarm Christian? You know, the lukewarm believers, you're going to spit them out. And I don't think that the one that's not investing themselves into a, uh, I want to improve upon this, uh, you know, I want to make this better. I don't want to be sucked into a tradition where I forget what this is all about. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. If you're doing communion just to do communion's sake because here's a cup of grape juice and a little wafer cracker, if you're just doing it because it's there, that's a dangerous spiritual place to be. You need to be doing it because you know who is this in remembrance of. And so if you're making that optional for them to come, then it's like, okay, that's someone that's on fire that is 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 geared towards, okay, this is because of Christ. And to be honest, as much as you meet with the brethren is what Christ says. And so that should be daily just like it was in Acts, but we only meet maybe twice a week. So, I mean, there, there, there's a time that I think that we need to take these sacraments and reform them. Uh, and I, I think, you know, f- to be honest, foot washing is one of the most humbling things that, like, to me, to get in someone's feet and to wash someone's feet is a free, is a free old Baptist. I don't know, to be honest, it's not just for the free old Baptist, but we're the ones that really take it as, the sa- as a sacrament. But that is a little bit harder to make that a tradition for me personally because you're actively participating in washing someone's feet versus taking a cracker and a cup of juice. Yeah. Me personally. That's just me personally. Mason, what do you think? To reform or not to reform? Like the, the voluntary throughout the week stuff. Do you think we could benefit from that? Do you think that's something that we should do in addition to having like the quarterly stuff? Or should we rip out the quarterly stuff and make it only like come on this random day if you want to? Like, What, what do you think about that? Well, about I that get model? the quarterly stuff and I like, I'll, and I, I mean, doing it weekly it becomes a habit. Well, I was thinking, yeah, well, most churches do it. Like, a lot of churches do it weekly. Well, yeah, but some, I was thinking, like, certain monthly. Churches or certain denominations will do it yep. weekly. Yep. And, I, I mean, I support, like, that they're trying to make it important. But the reality of it is is that we're human, and once we do something on a consistent basis, a lot of times, if we're not careful, more times than not, it just becomes a habit. Like, uh, unfortunately, if you look at a lot of church people coming to church, how many of them are there because they want to be in church or it's just because that's what they've done since they were five years old? They've just been in church every Sunday. Granted, they have good intentions, but are they really there like wanting to seek it out like y'all are talking about, like meeting mm-hmm. on a random day? Or are they just there, oh, it's Sunday, we're going to church? You know. What's that uh, experiment that they did? I don't remember when it was, but like a monkey did something and it was like, it, they tested it and like, hey, you do this and if you do this, we're gonna shock you. And if you grab the banana, you'll get rewarded and stuff like that. And over time, they switched the monkeys out. But yet, by the time that the third monkey or fourth monkey came, they were doing this action. But they changed, like, the reward. They didn't do the reward. And they didn't zap or whatever. And so the monkey was like, I don't know what I'm doing this. I'm just doing this because we've always done it for the three to fourth monkeys in the past. And so there, I, I could see if it's done weekly, I mean, you can ask someone, I would I'd be strange to ask if you, if you took a poll of someone's hearts, if everyone's heart in the church at that time, were they doing it just because it's just repetitious, habitual, or is it the actually thinking about the body of, and the blood of Christ? 
I don't know. We've done so many things to monkeys recently. I don't have a clue what's what anymore. But no, uh, Harambe. <laughs> Rip Harambe, 2016. Oh, was that 2016? Yeah, that was a while ago. Wow. I mean, never thought that was <laughs> Name one good thing that's happened since Rombe got shot. <laughs> Nothing. This podcast was founded. Oh! True. Oh, hey. But to come back to, <laughs> to come back to the question about like meeting on a random day, I think I think that's a good idea because then you will get the ones. I mean, granted, not everybody's going to be able to at a Thursday at 5 o'clock. But, I mean, hey, if we do... Monday at 5 o'clock and Thursday at 5 o'clock. Come mm-hmm. to one of them if you can. If you can't make one, come to the other, you know. Um, then you're going to see, you know, which ones are want, wanting to be there. You know, especially if you give them two different options. I mean, you may have a couple that come twice to the ones that are just really wanting to be with people. And like I said, you might just have the ones that can't make it on the other day. But I like the idea of, oh, hey, let's take a time out of the week when, you know, you could be at home resting mm-hmm. or whatever from your work week or work day. And let's go to church for about for a few minutes, for an hour, and just spend time with people. So I mean, I, I, like, was it Josiah who was the king? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I think that Josiah was on on the right track too, because sometimes when we forget, and like even though when they weren't doing Passover, I think the same thing can be applied if you're not doing Passover or communion or whatever, if you're not doing it correctly. He was a reformer. And I think that sometimes we need to reform the things that we have always done. Like, okay, we need to, I don't want to say shake things up for to shake things up, you know, just to do it because we need to do it. But we need to vote, okay, okay, why are we doing this? And I think, to be honest, that can be a question that we need to ask in everything when it comes to uh, the things that we do in, in corporate worship or private prayer or private worship or whatever. Why am I doing this? Who is this for? Is this for me? Is this for God? Is this for my neighbor? What is this for exactly? By definition, any change is reformation. I mean, that's just kind of how the the definition takes you. And the thing is, to not reform ever is to imply that we figured it out. Mm -hmm. Guys, we finally managed to read the Bible, figure out what every verse means 100%, and our church is 100% living by that. All of the members of our church are 100% living by the 100% correct interpretation of Scripture. No, you okay, can't yeah. say that. Okay. No. So it, it is, it's just common sense to every once in a while. Now, to be fair, I, I suppose it would be difficult to figure out like how often should you do this? Should it be like an annual thing, uh, every five years, uh, every half a year? I mean, it depends on your system, I guess, but like look at what your church is doing. Have have small groups figure out like what, what the people are doing. Like get some accountability going on and figure out why are you doing that? Where in Scripture does it say you need to be doing this? Like, what? take it back to Scripture. Test it against the Word. Because people, you'll fall into your own traditions without realizing it, 100%. I mean, you'll, you'll just, you'll drop into it. It's human nature yeah. to try and uh, take your own logic, uh, lean on your own understanding to, to do some more scriptural reference there. Like, it, it's just going to happen. Despite your best intentions, you're not going to be perfect. You're not always going to be operating off of scriptural truth just by default because that's not how the human brain works. you got to take it back to mm-hmm. scripture on a semi-regular basis. And that means being a reformer on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. And and we're not, like, here, here we are. We're talking a, a lot about reforming, but, like, a lot of the things that I can see within a, that I think it's good to be a traditionalist in is more on a uh, uh, – political stance too i mean because i mean like the abortion conversation i because i think that the abortion conversation is a very one a very important one the one that you need to have and i think that you need to take a traditional stance in that because i mean god ha- values human life and the ethical stance there uh, and 
that's never changed with God. Never, God has never changed his mind on uh, a, is a child in a womb valuable versus a 90-year-old woman that has dementia. Is she valuable? So the value of life to God is the same no matter what. And so we should still stand firm and conserve that. And so some of these conservative traditionalist values we need to uphold. And I think that that's one thing that we we're talking about before is that because there's so it's so polarized on the political st- the political realm and it's so polarized within the church that like you cannot just rationally talk between these two. It's like okay, what can we for the sake of biblical stance and for the sake of what God wants and what God values can we take and conserve it and try to preserve it? And what are some things that we have distorted of God's word? and twist and so like another example is you know racial equality with William Wilberforce being one of the head honcho of that Um, and I think 18 I think Matthew you've done some research on this but like in 1807 uh, he actually saw the the abolition and the abolishing of slavery in England yeah it was actually in 1799 he launched one of the first modern missionary movements uh, to Africa and to the east uh, because he saw that like hey this is this is wrong like the Bible does not support this and of course he was called out as being a heretic, as being a this heretical progressive uh, Christian that's trying to reform where Reformation isn't needed. Uh, he was, again, he, he was a progressive Christian. Wasn't he friends with, uh, who's, who's the writer of Amazing Grace? Uh, oh, you're asking the wrong person. John Newton, is that right? I believe it was John Newton. We will say it is. But, I mean, John Newton, I mean, he was involved with the, the slave trade too until he found Christ, and then I think he was enslaved himself. So I mean, he was friends with, uh, uh, you know, William Wilberforce and John Newton. I mean, which were uh, biblically influenced and Christ influenced. Were both involved with a very abolitionist of against slavery. So yeah, and the thing is, William Wilberforce at the time was a just an insane progressive reformer. Like, it, if we had today's language back then, people would just be calling them socialists so people would ignore them. I mean, that, that's, that's how that crap works now. Like, oh, you said you said something that's not traditional, you're socialist. Uh, you're automatically but, labeled. Yeah, 100%. But the thing is, he wasn't even, like, bringing in new thoughts. He was just going back to Scripture and saying, hey, yeah. this is so clearly not right at all. Like, the people that were thinking that slavery was scripturally backed were the, were the crazy heretical reformers, but they had allowed that to become their tradition. Uh, I mean, take it even back to, to Paul, if, just to take it back to Scripture. Uh, most of him talking, uh, like most of his preaching, most of his, uh, his theological proofs that he presented early on in ministry was just a constant callback to the Old Testament, making it clear that, like, this Jesus that I'm talking about, this good news that I'm bringing you, this isn't some crazy new stuff that isn't God. No, this is all stuff that was predicted in the Old Scriptures. This is all stuff that was predicted by the Old Prophets. Everything that I'm saying jives with tradition. Like, Paul was constantly proving to others that he could be trusted, that that the things that he was saying were true, not because he was some, like, revelatory individual necessarily that just had all the secrets to the the world. No, he was was following the teachings of Jesus. And those teachings were relevant because they were foretold in the old scriptures. But people were so tied down to that old tradition of following the law, getting into legalism, like Mm -hmm. the Pharisees, for instance, that they just... They, they wanted to plug their ears and just say la, 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 when anything that sounded kind of new to them was coming out. So this new covenant, oh, like clearly that's heresy, even though that it was, we were told ahead of time that it was going to happen. So, yeah, traditionalism, it's funny because if you do it right, traditionalism and um, progressivism, they marry together. 
Like proper theology requires a marriage of the two. Yeah. Because in order to properly adhere to to proper tradition, biblical tradition, you're going to have to constantly be reforming, constantly uh, allowing that that progressiveness, <laughs> the the desire to progress the church. Because as time goes on, you're going to get better at understanding scripture, and the church needs to be feeding off this wealth of information that it's had from from times past. I mean, I think we've said before that over time people have gotten better at sinning, and I think that's true because I mean, that that. As an adult, I'm get, better at sinning now than I was as a kid. Yeah, for but sure. as history has gone on, we've we've invented new ways to sin. Like or at least we've invented new ways, but yet we've also said these certain ways of sinning is okay in our culture. Yeah, 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 100%. So why not take that the other way? Why can't we get progressively better at following God? Like, we've had generations and generations and generations of very smart theologians, of super smart just laymen and laywomen at church. Like, we should be getting better over time, like, going back to Scripture, banging heads together, figuring out, like, okay, what does this Scripture mean? Oh, what was this Scripture? What does this Scripture say about what's happening today? Like, we should be getting better over time at this. Mm-hmm. Like, th- I don't think there's any reason to believe that we couldn't be getting better at not sinning as we are also getting better at sinning, if that makes any sense. And that requires a marriage of understanding that traditional values are important because some traditions are just concrete correct like why would you stop doing these things that yeah. god clearly said you should do why should you stop doing these things that jesus said you should do? i mean what how ridiculous would it be if someone implied that all tradition was bad therefore uh we're gonna have to find a new way to to get saved because asking jesus in our hearts is just that that's old hat we gotta find a new way no that, that's a pretty simple uh, obvious example of some tradition that's gonna hold water yeah. forever and, and this goes to a strong principle that I uphold to this whole conversation between progressivism or, 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 or reformed uh, type of mentality and traditionalist viewpoint is that, you know, we should be conserving what must be conserved and reform what must be reformed. And I think that's, a, that's something that we need to be looking at. It needs to be in the back of our heads, too, that, you know, we need to be doing that. We need to be having that said, like, okay, we need to conserve the things that need to be conserved, that God says it needs to be preserved. But we need to reform what is not biblical. We need to reevaluate the way that we approach things a lot of times. I've got a, a rather lengthy quote from a, an excellent article that I was reading. I think it was uh, on Christianity Today. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, the, I can't remember what the headline for the article was, but the headline had me thinking I was going to disagree with it a lot. So I went in kind of with a bias already in my mind, but man, the... The dude that wrote this was spitting some hot truth. So, so let me deliver that to you. Folks, strap in because... Deliver it. Let, let's throw out the Matthewism. When you are this, the this is some spice. <laughs> this is some spice. This is a, a Carolina Reaper of spice. Here begins the quote. Think of all the political campaigns that Christians have tended to support. Almost all of them are calling for the government not to do something. We've said no to liberalizing Sunday trading, no to gay marriage, and no to limitations on free speech. I'm not suggesting it's wrong to say no to those things, but I'm asking why Christians aren't also known for saying yes to visionary initiatives. We talk about traditional values and Britain's Christian heritage, this is a British publication, and Britain's Christian heritage, but we rarely talk about the future. We defend the status quo, but we don't define what should be ahead. We warn of what society might become, but we don't show what it ought to be. Mm-hmm. We try to pull back those we believe are going the wrong way, but we don't lead others forward. Do you think that that, I mean, obviously given the context clues, that's uh, a British um, individual talking about, well, the, the, the Great Britain. But 
Do you think that that holds true in America? I, I totally agree because this is one thing that I, I hold true when, when it talks about when Christ talks about the kingdom of God coming. He talks when the kingdom of God coming is at hand. That I believe right now that you know we that we within the kingdom of God. That you know the kingdom of God is the people as ambassadors representing Christ actively in this present time. And I think a lot of times I've heard people say, "It's like, well, you know." Realistically, the kingdom of God is this, and per scripture and stuff like that. But yet, we we live in a world right now, so we have to compromise and we have to do all of these things. And I'm like, no, because then that's saying that God's kingdom and and God's rule is like it, it can be uh, thwarted by man's law and man's tradition and man's and man's things. And so we need to be constantly trying to uh, reform not only church tradition but like political tradition uh social tradition and seeing is this aligned with the kingdom of god does this align with what god wants is this is what is this what's on god's heart and we need to reanalyze that and i, and I go back to the that goes back to the big uh you know the abortion conversation and the racial equality with the slavery of william Wilberforce was looking at man through a kingdom mindset and so should we look at abortion as a kingdom mindset that they have value just as much as the slave. And so that's one thing that we need to look as a biblical reformed type of theology and ideology within every facet of life. And this is one thing like that when, when I was talking, when I was studying about this, it was about the legalism aspect. And this is, this, this can be geared towards more of the spiritual religious religiosity uh, behind it. But, like, legalism is to those that place, like, the rules and the law over the truth of the gospel. Like the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees. So when we talk about, like, legalism and taking the law and taking tradition, and there's nothing wrong. There, there can be things wrong with traditionalists, but legalism is taking the law and taking tradition and basically putting that as gospel. Like, the gospel's nothing. Tradition is everything. So legalism is like the something that you don't want to be labeled. That's basically the modern-day Pharisee, the modern-day Sadducee. Basically, the law is my gospel. Christ is not my gospel. And this is a very dangerous mentality that we can sometimes have, and it can seep into our theology. It can seep into our presenting the gospel in that way, that the gospel becomes faded and useless almost, that tradition becomes our gospel. So I have... Six ways to tell if you're a legalist that the gospel is dead to you and tradition is your king. So the first one I want to make mention, how do you how do you know you're a legalist? The first one is that the focus on God's laws are more important and more emphasized than the relationship with God himself. And I've actually seen this more behind the pulpit uh, on TV evangelist or wherever than I have in actual reality. That the emphasis of the things that you do and the things that you have done as an individual is the saving grace instead of the grace of God. And so when works are emphasized, the cross is not prioritized. And so that's a dangerous way to, if when you are viewing law, when you're viewing works, and when you're viewing tradition as like, that's what saves me. Taking part of that sacrament, taking part of the communion, and that being part of that transubstantiation. Uh, <laughs> I actually said that word without stumbling. I'm proud of myself. Yes. But 
a lot of people think that's what's saving grace, taking part of communion. That's what saves me. You're a legalist. I'm sorry. That's that, that's that's one way to know if you're if you're on on the verge or or you are a legalist. Number two, is if you're placing your own rules to divine law and treating them like they're divine. So and hence henceforth an example is that and I I agree with this is that when you pray or with when you're in a, a major church service, it's not a sin to wear a hat when you pray. Correct. I mean, I did it earlier today. So okay. So, I, I mean, there it's not a sin to wear a hat when you pray or when you go into church. It's not a sin. But it's also not a sin to not wear a hat when you pray or, or, or go into church. The, the, the thing is, though, is that I think it is a mutual respect to God. I think it is, it is respecting to God that you're taking reverence to Him to take your hat off to pray or, or to worship Him in that sense. It's, 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 a, it's a sign of respect of His authority to take your hat off in that sense. But does that save you? No. I think there are some people that would take that to the extreme of like, no, this is, this, is, this is ordained by God that you need to take your hat off to worship and take your hat off to pray. Because, I mean, that is an old Hebrew tradition. I mean, it's, a, it's like a signal blocker. If you're wearing a hat, then yeah, prayer doesn't it make won't go nowhere, head. man. Prayer, yeah. prayer just goes to the top of the brim of the hat. Yeah. That's just common sense. That's yeah. physics. <laughs> Spiritual <laughs> physics. But to, to, a, a way to know if you're a legalist, if, if you've taken that type of rule or law and that you could take that to like wearing jean skirts or whatever ties you know wearing suits to church and you're saying okay we need to because that's what god tells us to do that's that's legalism man that's a legalist um another way the third one i, I found that a way to find if you're a legalist is if you're obeying existential laws without interstitial change if you're obeying the laws by your hands but if it's not applying or going to your heart mm, okay yeah. then it's kind of useless you know it's kind of like going saying oh i love my wife and i cherish my wife and i'm going out and cheating on her or of something of that nature the same thing applies to to the to, to god and to spirituality if, if i'm doing these things that hey i love i love god but yet here i'm doing these other type of lip services that mean nothing little parrot talk and it's like not practicing what you preach yeah Basically, if you're not practicing what you preach, you might be a legalist. So the fourth one uh, that I, that I saw that if you are angry with others when they receive grace, and when you feel like they shouldn't, yeah. which I mean that happened in scripture. That so happens, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that that's got biblical base. Prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal son. I mean, the brother got pissed off at his brother because oh, how come he gets all this and I've been so faithful? And, ooh, blah, blah, blah. We've never had a party for me. What? Yeah. When the reality is. All have sinned and fall short. So yeah. everyone that receives God grace, God's grace was was not worthy. That's what grace is. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's take this to another realm. What about believers that, like, say, like an old believer and a new believer, and the new believer gets certain special spiritual gifts that the old believer doesn't, mm. and so he gets yeah. jealous and be like. Well, how come God? How come you gave him all this, and he's a missionary? Like I could see, like some of the the OG disciples getting jealous of Paul. Yeah. You know, God, why are you using him? I was with you, man. I saw you. I was there. But you using Paul at this expense for your name? I mean, you might be a legalist if you're jealous of someone's spiritual gifts. Yeah, 
So there, there's a danger there. So the fifth one uh, that I noticed is that if you are constantly comparing your righteousness to others, and that kind of goes back to that same standard that I, that we just talked about. That's if, like works-based yeah. faith right there. That's So, I mean, in, in Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 11 through 12, it has that conversation that Jesus gives a, an example that there's a Pharisee praying in the temple. And the Pharisee is like, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this scumbag. I'm so thankful that I'm not like this other dude that has nothing. I'm so thankful I'm not like this little turd. And Jesus basically says, anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And so it goes back to the, the same thing, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And if you're putting yourself, if you're comparing your righteousness, your, your I, mean, I mean, Isaiah was in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he says, your, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your self-righteousness is filthy rags. And filthy rags, if you look at the translation, that is like menstrual pads, by the way. You know? Nice. I mean, little tampons. And so, I mean, that's, that's a very uh, uh, nice little imagery for you. But, I mean, the thing that gets you righteousness is, is nothing. And so we, we should not be ever comparing ourselves because God gives grace to everyone. And our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. If we follow him. So the, the last thing to know, if and this is the one that's scary to me, and I think this is kind of one, like one of those last step uh, gut wrenchers. Like this is borderline apostasy. Yeah. That you're about to hit so how, how do you tell, how can you tell if you're a legalist is that if you do not find joy in the cross anymore? That's kind of a scary statement when I, think, yeah. when I, when I was thinking about it. Because the centrality, the focal point of our faith is the cross. You know, that's where our sins were resolved and, and absorbed on the cross and where grace was manifested and redemption was shown. And when we don't find joy in that anymore, that's a, yeah. that's a scary thought. Because when you're talking about all the other, um, you might be a redneck, I mean, you might be a, a legalist <laughs> uh, rules that you're naming off there. Like, those are all things that, that suck. Don't get me wrong. Like, they're, they're all things that a, a Christian ought not to be uh, letting themselves fall into. But, I mean, those are all things that can be solved by having, like, a one-on-one. -on -one be like, listen, man, what, why, are, why are you acting this way? Let, let's take the scripture and figure out, like, why you're feeling this way. Like, I think that a, a dialogue can be had and that can be fixed. But if you don't find joy in the cross, then why are you here? Like yeah. that, that's a, that is a deep, deeply rooted problem. Yeah. Like the, the first ones seem like an analysis, like, okay, let's fix this. This can be fixed. And I, and, I, and I'm saying that you, you can find joy in the cross again. I'm, I'm not saying it's, oh, yeah. it's hopeless, but to me, that's a crisis. That's oh, a yeah. catastrophic crisis. If you do not find joy in the cross anymore, that's scary. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's scary. And so, I mean, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I'll read this, is that keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we should take joy in the cross. And I think one reason we take joy in the cross, because guess what? Spoiler alert, three days later, ding, 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 he goes to rises and <laughs> says, hey, boys, I'm here. And so we can take joy in the cross because the cross, death, has been defeated. Sin has been crossed over. <laughs> nice. Um, I, man, I hope that uh, throughout this it hasn't sounded like we're hating on tradition. Uh, no. Because no, I, I, th I think we made it pretty clear that tradition is, is good and it's important. The, the issue is we've tied the incorrect definition uh to these words that are used as derogatory terms, as, as insults. I mean, you're rarely going to hear someone call someone a traditionalist and, like, give them a pat on the back and a smile. Like, that, that's Good not job, how, boy. Yeah. yeah. 
And in just the same way, you're not going to hear someone like, man, you're one of them progressive Christians, ain't you? And like pat him on the back and give him a smile. That's, that's not going to happen. So if anything could be gathered from this episode of us just kind of vomiting out our, our opinions on the subject, just, just keep in mind that these words don't make people like bad. Like the, these are just descriptors at the end of the day. Like no one wakes up one day and is like, I'm going to become uh, a traditionalist. Or no one's going to wake up one day and be like, man, I'm going to be a, a progressive Christian. Like that's not something you aim to be. This, it's just something that, that you call someone if they're doing something wrong. Like you don't need to go super far in either direction. There, there's a bunch of magic there in the middle. You need to be taken from both. That's, I mean, that's the proper way to follow the gospel. And, and we went over the bits of scripture that give proof to that. So I hope that that's uh, what came out of of our discussion today. I don't think that we need to take into consideration too that there needs to be, and, we, and this is one reason why we do this podcast, and we've talked about this in the past episodes, is that this needs to be dialogue that the political side, the church side, whatever you want to call it, has been so polarized to the point where we don't even want to conversate with the progressive Christian. And I'm not talking about progressive Christianity because that's just completely heretical. I'm talking about just the Christian that is looking at a progressive mindset and talk with the traditionalist and find common ground and try to find a way that we can make God's kingdom come here on earth and make it you know and, and make it make people see that God is here ready to change people's lives. Yeah. Dare I say it? I, th- I think that we just need to strive to look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. Ouch. Mm. Mm. I don't want to say that was cringe, but it was almost cringe. Oh, come on. I tied it together because we didn't say it at the beginning because we were too busy calling each other God. <laughs> <sighs> but you can hit us up on our on our social media. I'll, I'll be linking all that in the show notes. You can find us there as always. And until next episode, Tanner, give us those magic words. Peace out.